What's up, everybody? It's me, Steve. Back here with you again. It's looking like episode 37. We're working on a recording today. Uh, let's see here. Is my level up loud enough? That's maybe a little better. That's maybe a little better. There we go. Alrighty. Yeah, like I said, uh, wow, episode 37 already. We're closing in. I'm sure episode 50 will be here before we know it. Uh, we're, you know, third week of March right now. It's the 21st. It's a Monday. Um, I think this is our 15th episode of 2018, you know, so sort of our, I kicked off season two at the beginning of January, so to speak, we called that, um, with like episode 22 or so. So yeah, 37, that would put us right about there, 15 episodes. Uh, you know, before we jump into things today, and I don't know how well I'm doing at this, but I'm going to mention yet again today for new listeners this is your first time listening thank you first off for finding us finding me baked and awake i'm your host steve we smoke cannabis on this show we talk about cannabis on this show we're recording here in the seattle area of washington state so we're embedded in the in the midst of one of the uh legal markets here in the united states right now so um this is just a casual reminder a little bit more casual than the last one that i mentioned an episode or two ago uh that yeah the show's episodes are all marked as explicit and no we don't just do you know party lifestyle cannabis stuff on this podcast not by a long shot nevertheless it's an adult podcast intended for adults, and we use adult language. We talk about a lot of controversial topics in addition to the cannabis-related stuff and all the debate, controversy, and politics that surround it. So, yeah, that's it. You know, glad you're here. Glad you're listening. Glad people continue to listen. I was delighted this morning to wake up to a nice little bump in listens on a Monday morning. Uh, not having put out an episode for a few days and having a pretty quiet weekend. Um, but, you know, started getting my game face on for the episode today and pulling my notes together and saw a nice little bump of downloads this morning. I was delighted. I was like, yes, all right. Better make another. Better make another. <laughs> so, um, we have a few different topics we're going to cover today including uh, a lead-off topic that has to do with our Washington State uh, I-502 legal cannabis industry, and this is hot on the heels of another uh, pretty major change that I mentioned very recently. I want to say episode 35, we talked about um, the LCB recently lifted our 24-hour quarantine on transfers of product between businesses and to the retailers. Uh, so that was wonderful. Big news. Definitely, I think, is being felt uh, as a, a, you know, a breath of fresh air by everyone in the industry. Uh, I'm just tweak my, take that background down a little bit for you guys. There we go. Hopefully we can still hear it but it won't compete too hard. Um, you know, it's always got to fiddle with it every time just a little bit. Every song's different, right? So, yeah. Um, and I mean, that's the thing. Steve's still recording in one track, everybody, so I got to do this not exactly on the fly. I mean, I could do takes, but we're not going to, you know, I do that sometimes when I really, really choke it up hard. Um I'll go back and redo stuff, but for the most part, I try to hit the button and go, you know, once we're ready to go, so that's what's up, that's what's up, um, 
I do have a strain of the week for you this week. We're going to smoke XJ13, a uh, very popular um, northwesty uh, sort of uh, perennial popular strain. It's got a mythos all its own, a mythology about it that we'll talk about when we get to it. So, But, uh, yeah, um, I was telling you guys last, you know, a couple weeks ago about the quarantine lifting. That was a big deal. Now we have another interesting one. It's arguably a bigger deal. I'm not sure I understand it as well in terms of what the long-term implications are going to be for our marketplace, for the legal producers and processors here in Washington State, um, and what it'll mean for other, you know, legal markets as well that look at this and are either already implementing or getting ready to implement a legal cannabis um, market in their respective region. So um, we're going to talk about that, what the new update is, uh, what the what the change in rules uh, is in just a moment. Uh, I'm going to get into that as well as a number of stories on that tech and surveillance side of things that we all love so much to watch that space, um, including a little bit of a sort of a point and counterpoint about um, cryptocurrency and possible manipulation of sort of the cryptocurrency markets, uh, in a sense, uh, after a fashion. So um, all that and more. Right after I, I'm going to hit the pause button, I'm going to roll one up of that XJ, get a little um, joint rolled for myself so that I can puff it while we talk and uh, while we read these other stories together. While I do that, uh, I'm going to play a little something for you guys and... Uh, We'll be right back. All right. Sit tight. Yeah, go grab your supplies. That's what, yeah, that's what I was going to say. Go grab it. Get your stuff. You know, get your, you know what to do. All right. Be right back. Hey, this is Sam, and I want to tell you about Supernormal Podcasts. Supernormal Podcasts share stories from people all over the world in hopes of showing nothing is taboo if communicated enough. Each story is real, delivered to you by the person who experienced it. It's all the things you never learned in school and everything your parents told you was wrong. Believe it or not, you're not alone, no matter what kind of person you are. This podcast is not meant to coddle you and tell you everything will be okay and one day we'll be holding hands singing Kumbaya. Supernormal hopes to break down pre-existing notions, inspire through story, and open your mind to new types of people and experiences. If you want to feel like someone finally understands you, or you want to learn how to not be an asshole, you can listen to Supernormal on iTunes, iHeartRadio, and all the podcast apps. You can visit supernormalpodcast.com for a full list of where to find us, and if you want, leave a review on iTunes, because your girl does this all on her own, so it's nice to know someone is listening. Make today the day when you finally learn what all those hard words mean, like cisgender and intersectional. Make today the day when you realize you're not weird, you're super normal. Super normal. Okie doke. We made it back. I hope you made good use of your time. First and foremost, to listen to the promo that I just played from my good friend Sam Sedlak's podcast, Super Normal. Uh, her guiding mission on that podcast is, it, it, it just couldn't be better. It couldn't be greater or truer um, or have more integrity for a reason to do what we do sitting down recording every week week in and week out i've listened to most of sam's episodes by now i keep up with that podcast for real and absolutely love it and uh whenever i include something like a promo for another podcast on the show i'd like you to know up front that you can be sure that it's a podcast that i've myself listened to that i myself enjoy and 
take great pleasure in and am looking forward to sharing with you wonderful folks as well. So um, thank you, Sam, for being my friend and my pod buddy. And uh, I hope a few of you make your way back on over to Supernormal and check out the amazing stories, all different, that you hear over there on Sam's show. All righty. So jumping in to our subject matter at hand, let's uh, address our attention to the XJ13 pre-roll I've got ready to go here as we check in with Kenna Law Blog, is where this story starts, and we're going to move from it to the Washington State uh, Legislature's own homepage here in just a moment. But the Kenna Law Group... um, this is a blog I think I've referenced once or twice before already on the pod here. Um, you know, they provide great industry news to professionals all around the country, but um, here we have some Washington State-specific news here. And their story headline, this was back in February 22nd, we've got an update on it since then, uh, was Washington Marijuana State May Allow CBD Additives. Heck, does that mean, Steve? You guys already have CBD, right? Yes, yes, we do, but we don't have it the way this bill, House Bill two three three four, would have us have it. Uh, so, Canal Law Blogs writer on this story was Daniel Short, and as I said, February twenty second, uh, they came out with this one. Daniel starts out here. The Washington State House of Representatives is considering House Bill 2334, which would allow licensed marijuana producers and processors to use cannabidiol, a.k.a. CBD, from a source not licensed by the Washington State Liquor and Cannabis Board. This bill defines a CBD product, quote-unquote, as any product containing or consisting of cannabidiol cannabidiol tomato tomato and would permit the use of cbd products from unlicensed sources so long as the cbd product has a thc level of 0.3 percent or less on a dry weight basis and has been lab tested Washington's regulated cannabis market is a closed loop that works on the principle that no marijuana comes in and none goes out Everything sold in a licensed retail store is grown by a licensed producer and processed into products like oils and edibles by a licensed processor. If a licensee is caught bringing marijuana in from an outside source, it says here the LCB will cancel the license. That sounds like that might be a more direct and punitive consequence than any fines and things that you might encounter for other more minor infractions of your you know, compliance contract with the state there as a license holder. It goes on. HB 2234 would have the most impact on processors who could add CBD to products such as marijuana oils, candies, capsules, and other infused products. Though HB 2334 is still far from being law, processors in Washington have flirted with the idea of using unlicensed CBD to create products with higher CBD concentrations. Processors who choose to enrich products with unlicensed CBD do so at their own risk. The legal basis for claiming that using CBD from cannabis outside of Washington's regulated market is based on the idea that not all cannabis is in fact quote-unquote, again here, marijuana. And that products containing CBD derived from industrial hemp or from portions of the cannabis plant that are excluded from the Federal Controlled Substances Act's CSA, the Controlled Substances Act is abbreviated to CSA, definition of marijuana are legal under federal law. Section 7606, they're they're summarizing some federal uh, statute here. Section 7606 of the 2014 U.S. Farm Bill creates the framework for the legal cultivation of industrial hemp, which is defined as cannabis with a THC concentration of less than 0.3% on a dry weight basis, 
The Farm Bill allows states to enact pilot programs for hemp research purposes. Washington has such a program, Washington State that is, though it is underfunded. Hemp that is cultivated in compliance with a state's pilot program is legal, pursuant to the Farm Bill, although the sale of any products derived from this research is not explicitly allowed. So, yeah, 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 I gotcha. They, they're saying, yeah, it's legal within that framework because the Farm Bill already defined it as, you know, three-tenths of a percent or lower on a dry weight basis. That would not be defined as marijuana, per se, according to the Farm Bill, which would be a federal bill. So, a little more here. Last year, the state legislature required that the LCB study the viability of allowing processors to use hemp cultivated by licensed hemp farmers. They cite here CRCW 15.120.060. It's also possible that a processor could use CBD derived from a hemp cultivator in another state that has implemented an industrial hemp program under the Farm Bill, but the Drug Enforcement Administration has issued a statement of principle claiming that the interstate transfer of industrial hemp is outside the scope of the Farm Bill, therefore unlawful. So there they are, stamping them out as soon as they see that little fire crop up. Processors may also claim that if CBD is derived from the mature stalks of the cannabis plant, it is not prohibited by the CSA. The CSA's definition of marijuana, quote, does not include the mature stalks of such plant, fiber produced from such stalks, oil, or cake made from the seeds of such plant, any other compound, manufacture, salt, derivative, mixture, or preparation of such mature stalks, except the resin extracted therefrom, fiber, oil, or cake, or the sterilized seed of such plant which is incapable of germination. They go on to cite... 21, USC, some strange symbol, 802, parentheses 16, another legal statute, no doubt. In the early 2000s, two cases out of the Ninth Circuit, Hemp Indus Association versus DEA, 357F, decimal point 3D, 1012, parentheses, Ninth Circuit, Cal of 2004, Ninth Circuit, California is my guess, 2004, and Hemp Industry Association versus DEA 333F.3D1082, parentheses, Ninth Circuit, 2003, clarified that the DEA could not regulate hemp products merely because they contain trace amounts of THC. I like that. According to these rulings, some portions of the cannabis plant are explicitly outside the scope of the CSA. Thus, the court ruled that the DEA was not permitted to expand the scope of the CSA to encompass all parts of the cannabis plant. Because it was illegal to grow hemp in the United States until 2014, the Ninth Circuit decisions only applied to hemp imported from other countries. For CBD sourced from domestically grown hemp, today's processors would need to know for certain from which part of the cannabis plant the CBD was derived to have a credible argument. Wow. (laughs) If the CBD were sourced from any other portion, any portion of the plant other than the mature stalks or seeds incapable of germination, then the product would be derived from marijuana and the processor could lose their license. There is also a question of whether a meaningful amount of CBD can even be extracted from mature stalks and seeds incapable of germination. I, yeah, I think that the tendency is to believe no. At least not at an economy of scale that makes sense. Processors who are using CBD additives do so at their own peril. Neither of the above legal theories provides much security as the licensee is counting on the fact that the LCB will accept this complex legal analysis and determine that the licensee is not using unlicensed cannabis. HB 2334 would provide some clarity and create a legitimate method to use unlicensed CBD. HB 2334 could also create an incentive for more farmers to participate in Washington's fledgling hemp market. I agree there wholeheartedly. That may be a key point in this entire story here. Finally, the bill would likely result in an increase in high CBD products that some consumers 
especially medical cannabis users, feel Washington's market lacks. On February 22nd, he closed with, for the bill to become law, it would have to pass the House, pass the Senate, and be signed by the governor. It's still too early to tell whether HB 2334 will make it, but it's worth keeping an eye on for now. Well, update. Let's take a quick peek at the Washington State Legislature at apps2.leg.wa.gov. And here we see a summary of HB 2334 as presented in the 2017-2018 legislative session. It is on regulating the use of cannabinoid additives in marijuana products. Well, let me just speed up my analysis of this page here and let you know that it has passed the House. It has passed the Senate. It has passed all the committees that it needed to pass, and it is on the governor's desk as of March 7th, March 8th, it was delivered to the governor. So it passed with a vote of 36 yays and 12 nays. Uh, not exactly a mandate, but pretty solid majority. Um, the minority did recommend do not pass on that. Um, they have a minority report. Signed by Senators Brown, Honeyford, Bailey, Becker, Brown, and Schossler. So, uh, I think the key points from this story, the key interesting takeaways here are the Washington CBD marketplace may be about to see an explosion of higher potency products that are being iterated based on this new definition of what does or does not constitute the controlled substance of marijuana. The ability to access and add to uh, your recipes as a processor of edibles or tinctures or syrups or other types of oils, topicals, etc. Um, to be able to get at and uh, source and use um, hemp oils that come from outside of the 502 licensee, you know, closed sandbox. I'm, I gotta, I gotta imagine there's gotta be an opportunity there for lower cost, uh, CBD sourced product, um, you know, in terms of the uh, major overhead that goes along with a, a legit cannabis business, the lack of tax breaks and uh, tax deductions that are available for those businesses, the additional um, regulation, scrutiny, bureaucracy, you know, day-to-day -day overhead of remaining compliant and simply being one of those license holders uh, are all different than anyone in agriculture. While, um, you know, you have the FDA and you have other regulatory agencies by all means that have their eyes on you in agriculture, it's certainly different than controlled substances, I would imagine, uh, for most folks most of the time. So, um, yeah, for that reason, I felt this was a really important story to talk about, to cover, um, something to watch. This is just beginning. Um, the, the governor needs to pass this for it to really, um, you know, become law. Um, that, yeah, that update was, what did I say? Did I say today was the 21st? Boy, you guys, it's the 26th of March, not the 21st of March. So, uh, you know, I hope you weren't setting your calendars based on me. <laughs> uh, that was at the top of the episode. I thought it was the 21st. What the heck? Anyway. Um, yeah, so that's, uh, we're still waiting on the governor to sign this as of today, but it's looking a lot like that's going to happen. I mean, so, you know, at that point, the governor would have to feel some compelling reason to veto it in all probability, not for it to move forward. Um, exactly when we can expect that to happen, I'm not sure. So I don't think the marketplace is, you know, being hit with uh, immediate shockwaves just yet. But I bet a lot of people are getting ready to work together with, uh, with one another on uh, 
on deals uh, as soon as the way is cleared for this. Um, so yeah, I, I found it a big deal. Um, let's watch that story, everybody. H bill, uh, House Bill 2334. All right, uh, links in the show notes, of course. All right, I never even lit that joint, you guys. I am blowing it. Let's let's smoke some weed. Let's light this shit. Because this next story. If it doesn't give you the heebie-jeebies, I don't know what will. I mean, you should already have them. The stories have been all over the news. I'm not even treading, you know, anywhere out off of the beaten path here for this one. Um, We're going to the Guardian. We're talking about kind of around the Cambridge Analytica data harvesting debacle that is the whole Facebook newsfeed cycle right now. Um, this is a story sort of nested in a series of stories that The Guardian is doing as they're covering Cambridge Analytica, Facebook, and everything around this. Um, we've got a story from about six days ago now here, um, 20th of March. The headline says, quote, utterly horrifying. Ex-Facebook insider says covert data harvesting was routine. I'm smoking RxJ13 now. We'll talk about it briefly right at the end. So we'll come back around to cannabis at the end here. All right, this story is by Paul Lewis. Reporting from San Francisco. He says here, Sandy Parakilas says numerous companies deployed these techniques, likely affecting hundreds of millions of users, and that Facebook looked the other way. Now, we're covering this story because this is the kind of shit that gets a person labeled a conspiracy theorist. Blah, blah, blah. Waka, waka, waka. You don't have to have a Facebook. You don't have to have a phone. Man, fuck you. You know you got to have a phone. Man, fuck you. You don't have a Facebook these days. How are you going to do anything with all those old people who you barely give a shit about, but that for some fucked up reason you got some social obligation to halfway give a crap about what they're up to, what they're doing, where they're at, how many kids they got these days, what a, 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 you already know. We all use this shit. Everybody does. If you are a holier-than-thou person who doesn't use social media at all and has never tweeted a tweet and has never snapped a snap, well, la-di-da for you, buddy. All right, I'm here to tell you, as I've been pointing out in a number of other ways, every single time you pop your little prairie dog head out of your hole, no matter how sneaky you think you're being, no matter how lurky you think you're being, no matter how chill and anonymous you think you are, Cookie's got your ass coming and going. Site Tracker's got your ass coming and going. These sites know about you and know things about you, whether you're part of them or not, just by your own networks and friends. And this is what's been going on for years. Some would say from the inception of all of these social media Sites, platforms, channels, whatever you want to call them. They're giant honey traps for our dopamine responses and our need for, like, social validation in this information age. All right, but that's Steve's commentary. I'm going to shut the hell up and get back to Mr. Lewis's story here. Here we go. Man, the XJ is getting me. Fired up with my very first puffs. I don't know. Alright. Hundreds of millions of Facebook users are likely to have had their private information harvested by companies that exploited the same terms as the firm that collected data and passed it on to Cambridge Analytica, according to a new whistleblower. So, did you hear that? Harvested by companies that exploited the same terms. They exploit your 
terms of agreement, your user agreement, privacy terms and things like that. You opt in to this stuff when you participate on the social network at almost any level. So, Sandy Parakilas, Parakalas, Parakalas, sorry, sorry, Sandy. The platform operations manager at Facebook, responsible for policing data breaches by third-party software developers between 2011 and 2012, told The Guardian that he warned senior executives at the company that its lax approach to data protection risked a major breach. My concerns were that all of the data that left Facebook servers to developers could not be monitored by Facebook, so we had no idea what developers were doing with the data. Parakilas said Facebook had terms of service and settings that people, that's us, didn't read or understand. That's definitely us. And the company did not use its enforcement mechanisms, including audits of external developers to ensure data was not being misused. This is delicious, by the way. Wish you could taste it with me. Taste a vision. Taste a taste a hearing. Fuck it. That was that was a stretch, and it didn't work. So yeah. Parakilas, whose job was to investigate data breaches by developers similar to the one later suspected of global science research, which harvested tens of millions of Facebook profiles and provided the data to Cambridge Analytica, said the slew of recent disclosures had left him disappointed with his superiors for not heeding his warnings. It has been painful watching, he said, because I know that they could have prevented it. They have a video embedded in here. It's like a three-minute and 41-second video that is um, a sort of video explainer about what's going on with Cambridge Analytica. So watch that as well. It's very well done. You know, if you're trying to catch up on this story and you're like, what? What? What are you talking about, Steve? What is this now? Yeah, dude. They've been selling your shit heavily. Way more than we ever thought. And the level of granularity of the information, you know, is beyond anything you could ever comprehend. Because this isn't this isn't just Facebook data, too, by the way. You think Cambridge Analytica stopped with Facebook's data? They got data from everywhere. They got data from Google. Okay? That's your web search history. Maybe even your web exploration history. The whole damn thing. Not just what, you know, not just search terms. Everywhere you've gone. Um... All right, again, shut up, Steve. Commentary. Paracallis said he always assumed there was something of a black market for Facebook data that had been passed to external developers. Wow. Mm. I do be one out. However, he said that when he told other executives the company should proactively, quote, audit developers directly and see what's going on with the data, he was discouraged from that approach. He said one Facebook executive advised him against looking too deeply at how the data was being used, warning him, do you really want to see what you'll find? Parakilas said he interpreted the comment to mean that, quote, Facebook was in a stronger legal position if it didn't know about the abuse that was happening. He added, They felt it was better not to know. I found that utterly shocking and horrifying. Parakilas first went public with his concerns about privacy at Facebook four months ago, but his direct experience policing Facebook data given to third parties throws new light on revelations over how such data was obtained by Cambridge Analytica. Facebook did not respond to a request for comment on the information supplied by Potokilis, but directed The Guardian to a November 2017 blog post in which the company defended its data-sharing practices, which it said had, quote, significantly improved over the last five years. 
While it's fair to criticize how we enforced our developer policies more than five years ago, it is untrue to suggest we didn't or don't care about privacy. That statement said. The facts tell a different story. That's again Facebook. You know, covering their butts here. So, let's see here. So in an effort to paraphrase, not plagiarize the entire Guardian article, I'm going to um, skip a couple paragraphs, direct you to that story. I am going to read a little inset panel that they have here, which is a uh, three-point uh, summary of what are the Cambridge Analytica files. All right, and for that, I think that'll help everybody as we, you know, wrap up this story for now. This is a developing story, obviously. Working with two, was, so the, the inset says here, what are their Cambridge Analytica files? Working with two whistleblowers who, self, who helped set up Cambridge Analytica. The Observer and Guardian have spent a year analyzing documents, gathering eyewitness reports, and working with whistleblowers to untangle a highly complex story of elections in the digital age. So, yeah, this is... This is their story about their, like, in-depth reporting on this, okay? Um, in this series, we expose, one, how data analytics from Cambridge Analytica used people's Facebook data for political campaigning. Two, how Cambridge Analytica is connected to Aggregate IQ, the digital agency used by the Vote Leave official campaign for Brexit. Vote Leave. Vote Leave used by the Vote Leave official campaign for Brexit. So they're doing it here. They're doing it in Europe. Questions arising around how the Vote Leave campaign operated in the run-up to the referendum. Cambridge Analytica is currently being investigated on both sides of the Atlantic. It is a key subject in two inquiries in the UK. So, of course, I mean... Sorry, you guys. Obviously. I mean, The Guardian is a UK news outlet and indeed just like we're concerned here in North America about you know possible manipulations and machinations from probably both sides uh, in the 2016 election and I think it's been established that this was going on in 2012 as well and probably uh, earlier um, so these are companies that you know, used to be demographics companies or market research companies or PR companies or marketing companies or whatever. And they've turned into and become these behemoth, you know, information aggregating like private sector surveillance state fucking info clearing houses. I don't even know what what these things are, these companies They're They've they've evolved from. A science that used to be called demographics to something today that is refer referenced regularly as psychographics, and that's because they're getting inside your psyche at this point. This is all about tracking our spending. This is all about tracking all of our choices that are trackable, which, if you think about it, so much of what we do these days that you think is just a casual, private, discreet moment or thought is totally being not just tracked and archived somewhere quietly, never to be looked at again, but but actively analyzed, you know, in a context of a giant data set that is not just you, but you and everybody you know over time. It's a living, dynamic picture of each of us built over the last couple of decades or more. This predates the internet. This goes back to the creation of the credit system and credit cards and a movement to begin to have people use them instead of cash for their day-to-day -day transactions. You need a credit card these days. You need a debit card. Good luck getting around and getting by without one. Good luck cashing your paycheck at work without one. Good luck staying out of the money tree without one. Put it that way. 
you're in at the line at the Fred Meyer or at the, you know, whatever your local grocery store is at the customer service counter with a bunch of other, like, you know, temporary workers who, you know, again, you don't have a bank account. You're, you're paying extra fees to stand in line while some lady judges you and, you know, cashes your paycheck out of a, uh, grocery store day safe uh you know and that's how you know folks who are bankless get by okay so the alternative is you you're plugged in you pay every bill in the world using your card you buy every gas station tank of gas with your card you buy almost every meal with your card so that supports your online behavior, right? Your 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 real world actions are mined, data is gathered on them. That's absolutely just glommed right together with and put together with your online interactions, your likes, your comments on whatever social media you do or don't participate in, however much or however little you do. I promise you, if you only comment on two things a year, it's been seen. It's been cataloged. It's been tracked. It's been adjusted for based on the fact that you tweet less frequently or status update less frequently. You're probably categorized for that penchant, that habit as a certain type of user, you know, a reluctant uh, observer. But were observed all right so yeah so that's all right that's that story we're 40 minutes in move it along steve so that was the guardian um link in the show notes you guys are seeing this story in a lot of other places as well so what i'd love is you know email me say hello let's talk about it you know um this is a related story and um You know, there. Yeah, it's a story that we're seeing in in a lot of places right now, and I'd like to see us continue to uh, track it and talk about it uh, as it develops. I know that since that story has been written six, seven days ago, um, you know, Zuckerberg has made statements to the effect of how sorry he is, how seriously they do take the privacy of their users. Um, how he would be open to testifying before Congress in the case of some sort of, you know, formal investigation into how Facebook handles this sort of thing. Uh, statements to the effect of a willingness to potentially be regulated. And so uh, I guess I'll close on that story with this thought is, um, like, what does that look like? That's, that's like turning Facebook into... Um, like a public utility of some kind it's it's likening the platform you know to a essential t technology yeah technology not like appliance or something but a technology um i was thinking of course of things like the telephone which you know has been sort of not totally subsidized or turned into a utility, but, you know, I, I do think that there's a lot of protections out there that make it possible for folks to have at least a landline, you know, at, at extremely low costs. And there's, you know, federal programs to help provide people with. Sorry, one moment. Provide people with, uh, you know, low income folks with phones, you know, so that they can stay safe and stay in touch with work and stuff like that. Like it's considered again. Um, you know, socially required these days, like how do you, you can't function and, and, and operate in society without access to a phone, for example. Um, so this would be likening something like Facebook to that and maybe, you know, potentially others in, in its wake as well to that. Um, I don't know, I guess maybe the flip side of that coin or the question to ask after, making that observation is, well, isn't that true of the entire internet? Isn't the entire internet the kind of thing that should be potentially 
like regulated as a utility or you know reframed in the you know understanding of the need for it to be recognized as a utility as a basic need as a you know borderline basic right um you know maybe one of those things where if we have an ability to provide it to the whole country we should be providing it and it should be you know provide certain you know protections so that people aren't being utterly exploited just for taking advantage of using that essential utility service technology uh yeah so that's i guess the ongoing conversation and uh it's been brought up and been talked about by a few others already. I heard uh, the folks on NPR uh, last weekend talking about it as well, and the thought had already occurred to me. Um, the question of, you know, how do you, you can't, how do you, you know, it's like I can't delete my, I can't really delete my Facebook. It's just not, it doesn't work that well. Like, you know, we all know that story that it doesn't work that well physically anyway because they're keeping everything you ever did anyway and they're still using it, mining it and extrapolating off of it and modeling you off of it and probably still bringing in extra outside information because you existed once and they know you're not dead. Um, so, yeah, super ranting right now about this because it's it's a concern. But, you know, my point is, is I still haven't deleted my Facebook. I participate in a bunch of Facebook groups. I administrate a few Facebook groups. I have friends and family that I do wish to stay in touch with and whom I am pretty certain that if I did sign off of Facebook 100% that, you know, I could take a significant um, percentage of those folks and, and expect to not maybe ever hear from any of them again. Or be able to, you know, reconnect again if I wanted to without going back to that same well. It's the new phone book, right? In a way. So, yeah. All right. Facebook, man. It's a, it's a beast. It's a beast. Somebody come on and talk Facebook with me. Um, former employees, you know, developers testers, anybody, anybody who's worked for Facebook in any capacity at all who wants to hang out and who knows me here in Seattle or is from around here in Seattle and wants to get with me, or even if you're not from around here, you want to get on the phone, let's get on the phone, let's get on, we got a couple tools we can try to do the, to do the call, record the call, so, um, yeah, please, alrighty, so switching from Facebook to crypto, right, I'm still still working on this very heavily packed joint of XJ, and it has gone out on me like twice because I packed it really stupidly, like a muzzle loader with a tamper all the way down the uh, tube. So now I'm like rolling it a little bit and giving it the old slap and tickle. We'll see if we can't get it to behave a little better for this second half. We're gonna light it back up. It's pretty stony, so I let it go out and just I'm blathering at you guys, but. All right, so we've been talking about crypto. We continue to talk about crypto because I still don't really understand it. I haven't invested in it yet. I, I have an itchy investment finger for it, but it's not like I have a big budget to invest in it. But, of course, that's the lore of crypto right now, right? Um, side note, I should do a story or find the story that I did find on that and then talk about it in depth. But I saw a story that said, like, you know, most of the money in crypto is, like, borrowed leveraged you know risky money like money that shouldn't be in a risky market like that because people will be ruined if it gets manipulated or crashes etc um not necessarily in that order so here's a story that i found from sciencealert.com this is not old. This is just a few days old, 22nd of March of this year. Um, the writer's name is Peter Dockrill. And um, this caught my eye the other day. It says here, Bitcoin could become illegal almost everywhere after shocking discovery in the blockchain. So what does that mean? It says, there's something hidden inside it. The Bitcoin world is coming to grips with a shocking revelation that could potentially threaten the very existence of the world's foremost cryptocurrency. An analysis of the Bitcoin blockchain, 
the publicly accessible ledger of transactions upon which the system is built has revealed this vast trove of data is irrevocably tainted with unremovable links to illegal child pornography which are inevitably distributed among and by all users of the currency. The discovery of this, in addition to other questionable and possibly outlawed content stored within the blockchain, hypothetically makes Bitcoin ownership illegal in almost every country that has laws against the possession and distribution of images of child abuse. Wow. Now the next story we're going to read is already some kind of counterpoint analysis to this, but let's finish this because this is wild shit. Um, and I'm not even done understanding it, so we're just we're understanding it together like in near real time right now, you guys. So the story continues. That's the view of a team led by researchers from Germany's RWTH. Aachen University, who sifted through the blockchain to examine how much arbitrary data it contained. Oh yeah, this is a little bit more opened up now. Smoking a little better. While the open ledger is primarily intended to store financial information related to Bitcoin transactions, non-financial information can also be inserted into the blockchain by users on the system and to drastic effect. In their analysis, the researchers uncovered more than 1,600 inserted files on the blockchain, over 99% of which are texts or images, including links to child pornography, copyright violations, privacy violations, and more. The data capacity of each block on the Bitcoin blockchain itself is a very slim 80 bytes. That's not enough for actual images to be housed but plenty for web links or other code pointers and references. Quote, our analysis shows that certain content, example, illegal pornography, can render the mere possession of a blockchain illegal, the team writes in its paper. Quote, since all blockchain data is downloaded and persistently stored by users, they are liable for any objectionable content added to the blockchain by others. Ouch. Consequently, it would be illegal to participate in a blockchain-based system as soon as it contains illegal content. The potential ramifications of that statement can't be emphasized enough. The researchers' contention is correct. The problems here aren't limited to just Bitcoin. Potentially any cryptocurrency or other technological system based around a user-manipulable and permanent blockchain could be susceptible to the same illegality, although this is very new territory legally speaking, which lawyers, judges, and legislators will have to address. Right now, though, despite the controversial novelty of the researcher's discovery, it looks like there's a pretty arguable case that Bitcoin possession does in fact break the law. As the researchers point out, 112 countries have ratified an optional protocol to the Convention on the Rights of the Child that makes possession of child pornography illegal, and the team's preliminary analysis of statute law in the U.S., England, Germany, and Ireland suggests Bitcoin ownership could already be a legal violation in those countries. In other quarters, some argue that mere links to illegal content should not be conflated with the illegal content itself. That's one point of view. But given the seriousness with which lawmakers treat child pornography, it's not like Bitcoin doesn't have a serious issue here. In any case, it will be up to courts and legislators to determine how to regulate Bitcoin and the problematic contents of its blockchain now that the topic is facing much greater publicity. So... Yeah. Yeah, I'm just looking at the last few lines of that 
article. So yeah, who is this? ScienceAlert.com. I don't know, but um, you know, this is they they're referencing um a uh, uh, a paper that is coming from. Yeah, who did they say it is here? Germany's RWTH Aachen. Okay, is this the actual link to the... I'm seeing if they send us there or not. They do. Okay. So our source that I'll include in the show notes does send us to the original paper in full. Or at least to a summary of it. How many pages is this? 18 pages. It's probably all of it. Okay. So... Anybody who wants to get into the nitty-gritty can totally read that. It doesn't look that bad, he says, as he quickly scrolls it and doesn't read it really at all. How Trumpian of me. All right. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll give you that link. I think it's worth checking out. Um, but let's go to this counterpoint story. Which, you know, is coming from some blog that answers to the name of Bitcoin.com. <laughs> All right, so this is Bitcoin's, maybe their own PR counterpoint to this. Eh, fine, fair enough. Let's see here. Uh, again, just a few days ago, five days ago, by Kai Sedgwick. It says here, no, there isn't child porn on the Bitcoin blockchain. Anyone swiping through the tech news on their tablet this week may have been startled by an unsavory story. Child pornography is permanently encoded in the Bitcoin blockchain, according to mainstream media reports, making anyone who downloads the blockchain guilty of accessing CP. Not only is this old news, and I did see that... Uh, in the comments on the Reddit thread where I found this story originally that, you know, I think this has been known since like 2014 originally. Not only is this old news, but it's fake news. Understanding why calls for taking a quick dip into Bitcoin's code. Bitcoin's boogeyman returns. Subtitle. No one can really recall what Bitcoin was first, was branded as first. A tool of terrorists drug dealers, or child pornographers. Yeah, because this is like the Silk Road connection stuff. All that can be said for certain is all three canards have been trotted out regularly over the years. Only last week in the U.S. Senate, Representative Brad Sherman expressed hope that a cryptocurrency panel would reconvene immediately after there had been a terrorist attack funded by crypto. But that was last week, this week, it's all about pornography of the worst kind. CP, or child pornography, ugh, is the topic du jour thanks to a new research paper. Its abstract explains. Blockchains irrevocably record arbitrary data ranging from short messages to pictures. This does not come without risks for users, as each participant has to locally replicate the complete blockchain. Blockchain particularly including potentially harmful content. All right, this is the summary that we just read. It goes on to tell us, you know, that you're going to keep it forever and you're therefore in breach, right? You're illegal. This all sounds pretty damning. I'm, I'm moving on. This all sounds pretty damning, and given some of the alarmist headlines the paper has generated, you would have thought the FBI van was speeding its way to every address known to operate a full Bitcoin node. But that's not quite how the real story goes. Old news is old. The CP on the blockchain story isn't news, and it isn't new either. In fact, it was first dredged up in 2013. Okay, there we go. And has been revived six years on purely because a new paper has given the claims an air of legitimacy. News outlets were quick to jump on the story again, which was then widely shared by attention trolls such as Brianna Wu. I don't know who that person is. The false hypothesis came from the fact that it's possible comes from the fact that it's possible to encode information in the blockchain. That was how Satoshi famously hid his message in the Genesis block. 
quote, the Times 03, January 2009, Chancellor on the brink of second bailout for banks, end quote. Anyone expecting the blockchain, anyone inspecting the blockchain won't find those words, however. Instead, they'll find the following hash. Long, long, long string of numbers and letters. Maybe 100 characters. No, maybe 80 characters. That is the block's Coinbase parameter. Nothing to do with Coinbase the company. In parentheses there. Written in hex. A research paper published in July 2017 titled Data Insertion in Bitcoin's Blockchain explores the topic in more detail and explains how the Coinbase data is arbitrary and can be up to 100 bytes in size. Only miners have the ability to insert data in this manner, and it's typically used to signal mining support for a proposed protocol changes. There are five other ways in which data can be encoded on the Bitcoin blockchain, and it is the op underscore return option that is at the center of the child pornography story. The 2017 research paper explains that This method is appropriate for inserting small amounts of data or transaction metadata, but it is not suitable for large quantities of data. 80 bytes is all that op underscore return can store, and what's more, that information is subject to deletion. That's because Bitcoin nodes are capable of pruning provably unspendable UTXOs for efficiency which include op underscore return data. Anyone wishing to use Bitcoin blockchain to seek out child pornography would need to perform the following convoluted process. They go on to describe that you would have to download the entire blockchain. You'd have to sift through 251 million transactions to find the 1.4% that contain some kind of arbitrary data encoded in them. Okay, sounds like a pain in the ass, but, you know, computers, I guess. Um, Ensure that the version of the blockchain you were using had been subject to no pruning that might have removed the op return data. Extract any web links that might be concealed in the data using some sort of steganography. Whoa, that sounds fancy. Type the links into your browser until you eventually found a website that was still accessible. To assert that the Bitcoin blockchain contains child pornography is disingenuous and is no more meaningful than saying that the internet contains child pornography. Oof. You could live to 100 and never encounter child porn on the web because that's not how the web works. And that's not how the blockchain works either. So, yeah, I like that. That That was a good argument, you know. Um... Yeah, I mean, they go on to make a few more analogies, a couple more analogies, but I think the point was made right there. So I hope that that, you know, continues to remain, you know, the uh, refutation of uh, a story like the one we just read a moment before. Um, yeah. And uh, I do have a story, another story about crypto that's more optimistic, um, but I think it'll keep for next week because we're just creep. We just crept over an hour, and uh, we're doing good here. I think I think that was plenty of fun for one episode. The XJ has uplifted me uh, more than it has balanced me out. Let me see here. Let me see if I can do a self-assess on the body high proportion i have had a a, quite a bit of a sore back so my back does feel pretty mellow and loose right now so i'm i'm digging that um but uh yeah you know what i'm even gonna save the explanation of xj13 and its mythology for next week i'll put it up front as old business some of you uh may know it as the well-known uh cross of the popular jack herrera strain and um, the mythical G13 government weed. Um, or is it? I don't know. You'll have to tune in next week to find out about that, about XJ13. But 
I'll try to find a little bit more info about it between now and then, too, to make that story the tiny, tiniest bit more interesting. Then, too, you can race me, see if you beat me, or you could just wait, and I'll tell you next week. Um, all right, and then, yeah, I hope everybody has a kick-ass week. Spring is in the air. We're out in the greenhouse in the backyard. I got all sorts of veggie starts going. Um, when I get just a little bit more green in those trays, lots of stuff is popping up, but I wanted to like actually be slightly more photographable with my sad little iPhone. So um, when I get just a little bit more green in those trays, I'll post some pics of that and, and share some of that stuff with you, what's going on out, out in the greenhouse. Uh, I think there's some industry events and stuff coming up real soon, like uh, Canatank in Spokane, and I'll talk about that next week a little bit more as well. I think I'm going to try to make it to that one. Um, yeah, let me know what you guys are up to. Let me know what you guys want me to try to smoke or do. Uh, I know a few of you do want to continue to see more pictures of the cannabis. I just, you know, I need to work on my photography uh, skills and bandwidth and setup and everything. I'm doing my best for you, everybody. Um, and yeah, let me know if you know anything, you know, if you've spent any time at any of the major social media companies. Um, you know, I've worked with people who have moved on to go to work for like Snapchat and stuff like that. And I know others who have come from other, uh, companies, whether it was Twitter or wherever. Um, I don't care if you worked for fucking classmates.com let's talk let's talk about it i'd love to know zynga uh, yeah dude if you worked for zynga and you're listening to me now email me get at me big fish yeah you guys too all right you know what's up you know what you got to do you got to smoke that indica you got to do shit anyway until next time.